give away cash we don't give away new cars vacations to las vegas or cruises to alaska we deal in a commodity that's much more valuable we deal in the truth and we give it away in bulk without strings without terms and conditions and at no cost to you and how do we do it we make it up in volume we're tnn the truth news network and your host is dan newman Thank you for being here this morning. Thank you for being here every morning. You're a faithful group of people, and it's growing. Yeah, you're growing in number, and I think it's because more people are looking for facts just like we all are, and that's what we do here. It was interesting to hear Pete Moss in that intro say what we do here, we do in volume. We give it away in volume, facts. Let me just encourage all of you that are listening in right now. If you haven't taken advantage of our written stories that are published daily at truthnewsnet.org, you need to go check it out. We have some great writers that have joined the team. They are diverse. They don't all think exactly the same. Every one of them has a fundamental common thing that we have here at TNN, TNN Live. That's the truth, the facts. But you know what? Opinions are important. Now, wait a minute. Just because you think something's right doesn't make it right. Remember, Dan, you tell us that all the time. Just because you think something's wrong doesn't make it wrong. Those are opinions. That's true. But what we need to do is base our opinions on facts that we go individually and find. And what's interesting between the big difference between the Democrat philosophy and the Republican philosophy. Republicans believe in the rule of law. They believe in individual rights and the rights of the state, but not at the cost of the we the people thing. Those first 10 amendments in the Constitution, those are the fundamental tenets that make sure our government knows They don't have any rights except those that we, the people, expressly give to them. How do we give it to them? Well, there's this thing called Congress. It's got a U.S. Senate and a U.S. House of Representatives. Those people are elected by the people, we the people. And for every congressional district across the nation, you have one member of Congress that you elect every two years to go represent you. Regarding the U.S. Senate, each state has two of those, and the people in each state choose who, out of the pool out there, people that have put their names in the hat, they choose between those people to be one of two of those that go to Washington to represent us. It doesn't look that way, at least during the last two and a half years, because Congress is overturned time after time after time and bypassed time after time after time by the authoritarian figure sitting in the Oval Office, Joe Biden, spending trillions of dollars, giving away money, making caustic decisions that aren't legal. Many of those are turned back later by the court system. But you know what Joe Biden's philosophy is? I think all of us need to know it by now. 
We're going to push down the throats of the American people what the left, the Democrat, big, 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 bigger government philosophies are. And yeah, most of them are going to be tested in court. But we've been able to plant a whole bunch of leftist federal judges in the Biden administration during the time. So we hope that some of these things, these egregious top-down authoritarian ideology that we uh, we spit out there in executive order, that some of those, if not most of those, survive court tests. Does that sound like a good representative leader philosophy? It certainly doesn't to me. It should begin and end at the will of the people. We don't live in a pure democracy. Never were planning to live in a pure democracy. We live in a representative republic, which means we choose, we the people choose, and group together 535 individuals that meet at the Capitol and represent us, represent us, not a president, not a White House staff, not a bunch of cabinet members, but the people of the United States. I don't know about you, but I'm glad to be an American. If you've spent any time out of the borders of America of of late, you know exactly how I feel. When I, I go overseas, and I don't go a lot. I go fairly often, but not a lot. Not what I want to term a lot. But everywhere we go, still, the United States of America, by people around the world, is looked at as a shining light on the hill that epitomizes freedom and justice and liberty for all. I like being an American. How about you? to the flag of the United States of America. Republic for which it stands, under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all for the 
someone listening in, probably, I don't know this, and I hope it's not the case, but it probably is the case, ask this, maybe didn't out, outwardly ask it, but this crossed your mind. Why did you play that, Donald Trump saying the Pledge of Allegiance over that group of patriots singing the national anthem? Why didn't you do it over Joe Biden? Let me just challenge you. If you can find a recording where Joe Biden doesn't pontificate over the national anthem, but says something patriotic, maybe, oh, I don't know, the Pledge of Allegiance. I'll play it. Send it to me. Look, it's about time to to put this divisiveness to bed. There are despots on every corner of this globe. There are no corners. What does that mean? Everywhere. There are despots that are doing anything and everything they can to diminish the greatness of this nation. This nation. One nation under God. That's what we are. That's who we are. And there are people within that are doing their darndest to get us away from that. If we do that, if we as a nation choose to diminish the liberties and justice that have been the staple of who this nation is for 247 years, that's a long time. If we diminish it, we're done, period. It doesn't matter who's in office. It doesn't matter who's enforcing laws. All of that would be gone. There are horrible people in every society on the planet, including this one. But the consensus is still today that most Americans are proud of this nation, even with its blemishes, even with its issues. But we're a nation of people, and people are fundamentally flawed. Every one of us make mistakes. Every one of us make bad choices from time to time. But you know what? If we choose to be thankful first, before we begin to demand things, be thankful for where we are and who we are, and that we're not living in one of those third world, real banana republics where nobody has an idea of what's going to happen because the despots that run the government, they just run with a whim. Whatever when they wake up that day is what they want to do, well, they'll just do it. They don't care the cost or the penalty to the citizens of that nation. That doesn't matter. It's all about me, 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 meism. The United States is 180 degrees away from that and its foundation. We better keep it that way. If we let this nation become a nation of a few people, a bureaucratic, autocratic group of people, we'll be gone like that. I promise you. It happens over and over and over again throughout world history. This is the only nation that has ever been structured in this exact fashion. It's unique in all its ways. But the commonality is what we need to be seeking, looking for, finding, and embracing. 
and those staples of that concept, freedom, liberty, justice for all, if any one of those or all of those are taken away, we're toast. That's the end of the nation. I don't want to live in a nation like that. I'm sure you don't either. Welcome to TNN Live. Thank you for being here during that National Anthem Pledge of Allegiance thing. I got a couple of texts. One of them, our buddy James Posey. Uh, You know, going into that song, I said, I'm glad to be an American. And James simply said, me too. I think deep down we all feel that way. But I think we're fearful that there are people out there we're finding that want to take us away from where we've been. The greatness that came from hard work, from working together, recognizing and accepting the fact that we're different. No two people are identical. That's one of the reasons why this nation is so good, so powerful, and still together. Throughout American history, there have been people with differences with other people in the United States. One of those led to a civil war. I pray we don't have another one. Civil war, we are told, looking back in U.S. history, was to end slavery. I'm not sure it was. I think it was because of simply all the differences between people. And a bunch of people decided we can't accept the differences. And we went to war against each other. I don't want to go back that way. If we ever get in another war, and I pray we don't, but if we do, we need to handle it. Our leaders need to handle it like they did during World War II. We first go to Europe. We went there to push back Nazism, true Nazism, fascism, true fascism, not the kind that leftists keep throwing at conservatives today. Conservatism and all of the ideology of conservatism is nothing like fascism. In fact, they're at 180 degrees separation. Fascism, fascism is a philosophy that promotes Government over the top of everything. And of course, there is a leader at the top who is the fascist. Conservatism is exactly opposite of that. Conservatism, true conservatism, is we the people. If we can just get our teeth in the facts about who we are, And we are not bad people. We are not evil people. We are people that are flawed, working through our flaws, making some mistakes, working through those mistakes, but doing it in consensus with those basic fundamental things that we talked about. We're going to be okay. We're not there yet. I pray we get there soon. Wow, what a way to start the show today. We are full of stories and information and revelations today. Looking down at uh, the stuff we have to talk about, of course, we're going to have Joe Biden, Hunter Biden, Attorney General Merrick Garland. We're going to listen to some members of Congress that are telling us what's ahead. It's going to be a full day, and I don't want you to miss a bit of it. So let's start right here at the top. After yesterday's show, 
when we signed off at 11 a.m. Central, I began to, throughout the day at various times, I began to check back in. And it was just like all day long, about every hour or so, bam, another big blockbuster comes out. Bam, another one the next hour. One that came out, and it shouldn't have surprised me, but it did. It was about who was involved in that. You remember that Intelligence Committee letter that came out during the campaign and Joe Biden was so proud about it. Those 51 former intelligence leaders came out and debunked the Biden, Hunter Biden laptop story. Oh, it's, it's, it's just, it looks like Russian disinformation. 51 former intelligence department leaders. Think about that. And every one of them weighed in and agreed. Yeah, there's no there there. An author of the now debunked public statement from those 51 intelligence officials is casting doubt on the story that came out about it that those 51 people signed off on. Former CIA acting director Michael Morell, he testified under oath to the House Judiciary Committee that now Secretary of State Antony Blinken called him about the laptop story just days after it broke in the New York Post and that that telephone call triggered Morell to draft that statement. Interesting, isn't it? Jim Jordan, Republican of Ohio, and Michael Turner, Republican of Ohio, chairman of the Judiciary and the Intel Committees, made the revelation yesterday in a letter to Blinken obtained by several news agencies that included portions of Morell's testimony. Now listen to this. The chairman wrote that Morell testified in the closed-door interview with the committee that Blinken's telephone call to Morell was, quote, couched as simply gathering Morell's reaction to the Post story, but that it set in motion all the things that led to the issuance of the public statement that those 51 intelligence leaders signed off on. Antony Blinken at the time, he wasn't Secretary of State, remember that. He served as Joe Biden's closest foreign policy advisor. Now, that's not according to some conservative. It's according to the New York Times. The Biden campaign paid Antony Blinken more than $100,000 for his work back in 2020. Now, that's according to the Federal Election Committee. The chairman's letter to Blinken included some testimony from Morrell to the committee. Let me give you a little of the Q&A. Question, but... Prior to Secretary Blinken's call, you, now this is Morell testifying, prior to Secretary Blinken's call, you did not have any intent to write this statement? Morell said, I did not. Question, okay. So his call triggered. Answer, it did, yes. That intent in you? Yes, absolutely. Now, in case you forgot about it, Here's what I want to do. I want to read you that letter. And Blinken wrote it. 
He didn't write the letter, but he got Morrell to write it. Hang on just a second. Don't you love the internet? Okay. Dear Secretary Blinken, the Committee on the Judiciary and the Permanent Select Committee. Now, wait a minute. This is the response from Jordan. Okay. We got the fact that Morell got the phone call from Anthony Blinken, who was part of Biden's campaign. And he put out, Morell wrote the letter that those 51 intelligence leaders signed off on. And then he testified before the House Judiciary Committee. Here's the letter that the Judiciary Committee yesterday sent to now Secretary Antony Blinken. The Committee on the Judiciary and the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence are conducting oversight of federal law enforcement and intelligence matters within our respective jurisdictions. We're examining the origins of the infamous public statement signed by 51 former intelligence officials that falsely discredited a New York Post story regarding Hunter Biden's laptop as supposed Russian disinformation. As part of our oversight, we've learned that you played a role in the inception of this statement while serving as a Biden campaign advisor, and we therefore request your assistance with our oversight. On October 14th of 2020, the New York Post published a report detailing how Hunter Biden used the position and influence of his father, now President Joe Biden, for personal gain with the apparent awareness of President Biden. The article reported on several emails found on a laptop belonging to Hunter Biden that he had abandoned in a Delaware computer shop. The contents of the emails cast doubt on President Biden's previous denials of speaking to his son about his international business dealings. Within five days of the article, on October 19, 2020, 51 former intelligence officials released a public statement attempting to discredit the contents of the New York Post reporting about Hunter Biden, stating that the story, quote, has all the classic earmarks of a Russian information operation. News publications immediately ran with the statement, with Politico publishing a story with the conclusive headline, quote, Hunter Biden's story is Russian disinformation, dozens of former officials say. Social media companies simultaneously restricted access to the New York Post story, including Twitter locking the post and then White House Press Secretary Kayleigh McEnany's accounts for sharing a link to the article. During the final presidential debate on October 22nd, then-Vice President Biden cited the public statement to rebut President Trump's criticism of the Biden family business dealings, saying this, And this is Joe Biden, then candidate Biden. Quote, look, there are 50 former national intelligence folks who said that what this, President Trump's accusing me of, is a Russian plan. They have said this, this is all the characteristics. Four or five former heads of the CIA, both parties, say what he's saying is a bunch of garbage. 
Nobody believes it except him and his good friend, Rudy Giuliani. The letter continues. Subsequent reporting revealed that the New York Post story was not, as a public statement claimed, and then Vice President Biden parroted, part of a Russian information operation. This revelation nearly two years after the fact, however, was little consolation. The concerted efforts to dismiss the serious allegation in the Post reporting and to suppress any discussion of the story played a substantial role in the 2020 election. The committees, plural, recently conducted a transcribed interview with Michael Morell, a former deputy director of the CIA and one of the 51 signatories of the public statement. In his transcribed interview, by the way, it was under oath, Morell testified that on or around October 17th of 2020, you reached out to him to discuss the Hunter Biden laptop story. At the time, you served as a senior advisor to the Biden campaign. According to Morell, although your outreach was couched as simply gathering Morell's reaction to the Post story, it set in motion the events that led to the issuance of the public statement. Morell testified, question, but prior to Secretary Blinken's call, you did not have any intent to write this statement. I did not. Morell said. Question. Okay, so his call triggered. It did, yes. It triggered that intent in you. Yes, absolutely. The very same day, October 17th, you, and they're talking to Antony Blinken, now Secretary of State, you also emailed Morell an article published in USA Today alleging that the FBI was examining whether the Hunter Biden laptop was part of a disinformation campaign. The very bottom of the email you sent to Morell included the signature block of Andrew Bates, then director of rapid response for the Biden campaign. Morell testified that his communication with you was one of a few communications he had with the Biden campaign, explaining that he also received a call from Steve Ricchetti, chairman of the Biden campaign following the October 22 debate to thank him for writing the statement. He testified, and this again is Morell. After the debate, I think it was after the debate. In fact, I'm pretty sure it was after the debate. I got a phone call from Jeremy Bash, who I work with at Beacon and who is active politically. And Jeremy said, do you have a minute to talk to Steve Ricchetti? I said, of course. He was the head of the Biden campaign at the time. And Jeremy got him on the line, and Steve thanked me for putting the statement out. And that was the extent of the conversation. The letter from Jordan continues. Again, this letter is going to now Secretary of State Antony Blinken, and it went out yesterday. Morell also explained that the Biden campaign helped to strategize about the public release of the statement. Morell testified that he sent an email telling Nick Shapiro, former deputy chief of staff and senior advisor to the director of the CIA, John Brennan, that the Biden campaign wanted the statement to go to a particular reporter at the Washington Post first, and that he should send the statement to the campaign when he sent the letter to the reporter. Morell testified, however, that he did not recall why he told Shapiro the campaign wanted the statement 
to go to this reporter first and admitted that he may have spoken to the campaign on another occasion. Morell further explained that one of his two goals in releasing the statement was to help then-Vice President Biden in the debate and to assist him in winning the election. He testified. Question, what was the intent of the statement? Morelli answered, there were two intents. One was to share our concern with the American people that the Russians were playing on this issue, and two, it was to help Vice President Biden. Chairman Jordan asked Morelli, you wanted to help the vice president? Why? The answer, because I wanted him to win the election. Jordan, you wanted him to win? That's right. Morelli, yes, sir. Based on Morell's testimony, we're back at the letter. It is apparent that the Biden campaign played an active role in the origins of the public statement, which had the effect of helping to suppress the Hunter Biden story and preventing American citizens from making a fully informed decision during the 2020 presidential election. Although the statement's signatories have an unquestioned right to free speech and free association, which we don't dispute, their reference to their national security credentials lent weight to the story and suggested access to specialized information unavailable to other Americans. This concerted effort to minimize and suppress public dissemination of the serious allegations about the Biden family was a grave disservice to all American citizens' informed participation in our representative republic. Based on the information we have obtained to date, we believe that you possess material that would advance our oversight and inform potential legislative reforms. Accordingly, we ask that you please provide the following information and records in your personal possession. One, identify all people with whom you communicated about the inception, drafting, editing, signing, publishing, or promotion of the public statement to the Hunter Biden emails that's dated October 19, 2020, during the period October 14, 2020, to November 24 of 2020. And produce all documents and communications referring or relating to the public statement on the Hunter Biden emails dated October 19, 2020, sent or received between October 14, 2020, and November 24, 2020. Please produce this material as soon as possible, but no later than 5 p.m. on May 4th this year. Because these events occurred prior to your nomination and confirmation as Secretary of State, we seek your cooperation with our request in your personal and not your official capacity. Although our requests do not implicate department equities, and accordingly there should be no basis for the department to interfere with our oversight, we have addressed these requests to you in your official capacity initially as a courtesy. If you are represented by private counsel in this matter, please ask your attorney to contact Judiciary Committee staff promptly on your behalf at area 202 and a telephone number. Thank you for your attention to this matter. Letter signed by Jim Jordan, Chairman of the Committee on the Judiciary, Michael Turner, Chairman of the Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. 
I never do what I just did. But listen, it is critical that every America knows and understands what happened in the run-up, what really happened during the run-up to the 2020 election. This is bad. (laughs) But I hate to tell you, it gets worse. It gets worse. How, Dan? How could it possibly be worse than that? Well, let's go to the next chapter in this story about the Biden family syndicate. Ah, we're going to take about a two-minute break. We'll get into that immediately following this. And let me just tell you, don't you dare leave. You're going to want to hear this. So many good memories. Remember our road trip in 97? Our first real heart to heart. I've never seen any of your movies. Not even the ones we're in together. Hey, do you remember when that stalker kidnapped us? Yes. Blaze was there. Blaze. Do you have a barbecue? Or a cheddar jalapeno? Oh, remember when we stumbled into that turf war? Remember when you bought your first house? Those were good times. They were golden. You ready? Seth, do you? I do. And Janet, do you? That's a yes. Yeah! I love this lady! Let's just say this we're about to discuss is part two of this debacle, this new, this latest Biden family syndicate. Is it a novel? I mean, is it a tell-all? Is it a biography? Could be any of those or could be all of those put together. But nevertheless, these are facts. The White House has deflected allegations of Hunter Biden tax probes in interference. Yesterday, White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre deflected allegations that the Biden administration interfered in an ongoing probe into Hunter's potential tax violations. And this was from the press briefing, quote, the president has always been clear during the campaign, during his presidency, that the DOJ should have independence. They should not be politicized. 
This is Jean-Pierre during a White House press briefing, and they should be able to do their job independently. The president respects the rule of law and the independence of the Department of Justice, she said. So let's just download, let's go back maybe a notch lower than the president to um, Hunter. Hunter is under investigation by the DOJ for tax fraud, for money laundering, and violation of lobbying laws. For months now, Trump-appointed U.S. Prosecutor David Weiss has been weighing, is there or is there not sufficient evidence for the grand jury to indict Hunter? But no charges, none, have happened yet. On Wednesday... An IRS whistleblower, uh uh-oh, here comes a factor, F-A-C-T-E-R. A A factor, (laughs) a whistleblower, has alleged that two Biden administration political appointees inside the DOJ are working now, right now, to block charges against Hunter for tax violations against recommendations. Also, Weiss allegedly asked to be named as special counsel in the probe. Why? To provide a degree of separation between the probe and Joe Biden. That request was obviously turned down. In March, here comes our Attorney General. Mary Garland insisted Weiss has the authority to bring charges against Hunter. That's what he testified to in Congress in March. This is our Attorney General, folks. However, Garland additionally noted that he would personally have to authorize any potential charges. Quote, the criminal probe of Hunter Biden directly affects Garland's boss. This is a cover-up. That's Mike Davis, founder and president of the pro-Trump Article 3 Project, and former chief counsel for nominations to Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley. Senator Ron Johnson, he announced that both Joe Biden and Merrick Garland are culpable for this alleged abuse. Under President Biden and Attorney General Garland, America is not equally applying justice and the rule of law. They are both equally culpable and responsible for abuse alleged by the IRS whistleblower. House Republicans, they vowed they're going to investigate these claims, and they should, but it shouldn't be just Republicans. It should be members of Congress. One House Judiciary Committee spokesperson said, this is absolutely something that Chairman Jordan is going to look at and investigate. Oversight Committee Chair James Comer, he said he has been wondering why the DOJ has not charged Hunter in the tax probe. The grand jury appears to have convened as far back as May of 2019. That's three years, four years, four years ago, next month. And that's a fact. It actually did. It comes from a confidential subpoena that was served to J.P. Morgan Chase. We've been wondering all along where the heck the DOJ and the IRS have been. Now it appears the Biden administration may have been working overtime to stop the Bidens from facing any consequences. 
The House Oversight Committee will work to hold accountable anyone in the Biden administration who may be covering up this criminal activity. Now, let me see. During the break, got another. (laughs) This is a PS to what you just heard. As of 30 minutes ago, it was announced that federal prosecutors reportedly considered charging Hunter Biden more than a year ago for three tax crimes and one gun crime. And those charges never came. Why? They were blocked by two Biden administration political appointees inside the Justice Department. This thing is growing. (laughs) I mean, it's getting legs and arms and growing in size and intensity. Now, what are these charges supposed to be? Well, two misdemeanor counts for failure to file taxes, a felony count of tax evasion related to a business expense for one year of taxes, and one felony gun charge related to a gun purchase. Now, what's the deal on the gun purchase? If you've purchased a gun yourself, you know, in that form you have to fill out, and they send it upstream, whoever you're legally buying the gun from. They send it up to ATF. ATF does an investigation on your background based upon the information you put in that form. One of the things that the questions that ask that you have to respond is, are you, have you, been using illegal drugs. Hunter checked off the no box. And I can understand what he would why he would do that. He wanted the gun. And he knew he had a drug problem. It's public knowledge. I mean, I've seen video of him bragging about how much illegal dr- drugs he used and how desperate he would get. The two sources of this also complained about growing frustration inside the FBI because the investigation into Hunter was mostly completed a year ago. A third source told NBC News, of course, NBC News, the bastion of media integrity, said to NBC News, the IRS finished its probe about a year and a half ago. On Wednesday, that IRS whistleblower alleged that two Biden administration appointees inside the DOJ are working today to block charges against Hunter for tax violations against recommendations. Oh, and by the way, Attorney General Merrick Garland refused to name a special counsel in the probe to provide a degree of separation between the probe and Joe Biden. As far back as May of 2019, when this Hunter Biden debacle began, the FBI, by the way, they already had that laptop in 2019. Hunter has been under investigation by the DOJ for tax fraud, money laundering, violation of lobbying laws ever since then. David Weiss weighed whether there's enough evidence for the grand jury to indict him, Hunter, so far, has avoided any indictments. I don't know about you, but where I come from, if it quacks and waddles, 
Dad gummit. <laughs> it's a duck. And uh, I think we're looking at a duck in this. But there's one side of this that we haven't talked much about, and that's the money that has come in. The big guy. That's the big question in all of the information that has been obtained from that laptop. When Hunter Biden on his laptop was sending messages out, he referred to the big guy, and Hunter was protecting the big guy. Tony Bobolinsky, former partner for Hunter Biden, he testified that the big guy is and was Joe Biden. It's very obvious from details on that laptop that Joe Biden's money and Hunter Biden's money, it's all commingled. One of the people who have broken these latest big-time stories is John Solomon. John Solomon confirmed last night about all this Biden-Biden money being commingled. So here's a big surprise. A senior IRS whistleblower says there's a huge Biden family cover-up for the investigations. Joining me now to talk about it, the great John Solomon, who knows these stories like nobody else on the planet. John, thank you for giving us some of your time. So this whistle was this whistleblower blocked from testifying or what? No, so far, everything is working according to the way whistleblowers should do. He goes to the Inspector General of the Treasury Department. He then gets referred to the Justice Department Inspector General. They begin a a very serious, credible investigation. He turns over documents that corroborate his story. His story is that Biden political uh, appointees in the U.S. Attorney's offices have prevented the career people from bringing tax criminal charges against Hunter Biden, and that that those actions... Uh, undercut or actually contradict uh, the testimony of Merrick Garland, who said there's been no political interference. After the IG gets going and finds that this is credible, he's allowed to go to Congress and uh, provide the information to the House Ways and Means Committee and the Judiciary Committees. That's the process that began yesterday. We expect that he'll get an audience with those committees in the next couple of weeks, convey his evidence, and by mid-May, we'll probably have access to his evidence in the public. And Merrick Garland, you know, said there's no interference under oath. And that's going to be a problem for him down the road, you think? Yeah, listen, it may be he doesn't know that this dispute was going on. He certainly knows now. I have confirmed that the Justice Department is acutely aware of this now. But it's possible that these U.S. attorney officials who were political appointees of Merrick Garland didn't tell him and it didn't get escalated to him. But his answer to Chuck... Grassi is very specific. Chuck Grassi said, have any U.S. attorneys prevented the, Weiss, the U.S. attorney running the Biden investigation, from bringing charges? He said, no. Weiss has the authority to bring those charges. The whistleblower saw that and said, that's not true. I'm in the middle of this. I know it's not true. So Merrick Garland has a problem. He may be able to explain it away. But you have a cabinet secretary now whose testimony is in question. And the larger issue of the Biden Justice Department being involved in a potential cover-up. What is... Um Why has this guy Weiss, the U.S. attorney in Delaware, he's been sitting on this stuff for three years. There are a number of alleged, you know, allegations and charges against Hunter Biden. Tax charges, representing foreign governments, guns and all the rest of it. Uh, I want to get to Joe Biden in a minute, John Salmon, but why has he taken so long to come up with something? I mean, three years, for heaven's sakes. Yeah. 
I think they've come up with something a long time ago. I think for most of the last year or two, there has been a, a battle royale with Weiss himself and the career people trying to get these charges hoisted and the uh, Justice Department political appointees of Joe Biden keeping that from happening. There was enormous grand jury activity. There's been a lot of negotiation with Hunter Biden's lawyers. I think we just discovered something that's been playing out uh, in secret, which is that uh, not only was Weiss trying to get this, according to this IRS whistleblower, he claims that Weiss told a group of agents, I went to the Justice Department to get upgraded to a special prosecutor to get over this resistance, and I got turned down. Oh. We don't know if that's true but we know that's the agent's testimony. Huh. I think Weiss has been fighting very hard to get charges filed, and there's been political obstacles placed in his way. Yeah, so at some point, John, you know, these tax transactions that are under fire, and we'll probably learn a lot more about that when this whistleblower, I guess what's going to be the Ways and Means Committee, is that who was going to testify in front of? Um, but yeah. the big question to me is Joe Biden's involvement. And these tax right. transactions could be a monetary trail to Joe Biden. But I don't know as much about this as you do. What do you think about that? Well, there's irrefutable evidence that uh, in uh, starting in 2010, that there are emails saying that Joe Biden owed money to Hunter because Hunter was giving him money. And at one point, Hunter, uh, Joe Biden gives his tax return to Hunter Biden to pay him back for some stuff. So their finances are clearly commingled. There are multiple emails where Hunter Biden and his colleagues are talking about my dad wants to know about his earning powder. He wants to start making cashing in on his name. Mm -hmm. And that's what sets this whole Ukraine, Russia, China business deal into place. And now we know from James Comer, many of the transactions come in from these foreign countries. They get divvied up and they're sent to various members of the Biden family. It looks like it might have been a Biden family enterprise, as James Comer likes to call it. Do you think this whistleblower, who's an IRS guy, will have evidence yeah with respect to a monetary, you know, money trail to Joe Biden. Do you think he's got stuff or what? I don't know that. I know he definitely has evidence of uh, what they believe is criminal activity by Hunter Biden. He does definitely has evidence of political interference, stopping the career people from doing what they would have done with any other defendant. Uh, those are sure things. At the end of the day, I think the person that's going to tell us whether or not Joe Biden was the beneficiary recipient of this money, it's going to be James Comer. He's following mm -hmm. those 170 right. bank SARS, yep. and he's got he's following it like a mob prosecutor. He's doing the old-fashioned way yep. of doing this. Yeah, he was on here a couple nights ago. You, you're at, you're yeah, absolutely right. I saw him. Of all the, yeah, he broke that story with the with the six. Now it's nine. But he's a t very he smart, tenacious man, John. He's actually like you, John Solomon, smart and tenacious. Yeah. We thank you for your work you've been doing. I hope you'll come back and visit us again. All of this brings more and more questions to the table for consideration, and it just keeps going around and around in my mind, these additional questions. Where are the people in the Biden administration in the cabinet? Top bureaucrats appointed, confirmed. Where are each of them? How many of them were complicit during the campaign in spreading these obvious lies, doing cover-ups for then-candidate Joe Biden, how many of them got quid pro quo for what they've done? Anthony Blinken, there is no question he did. He was working in the Biden campaign when this Morrell letter was put together, orchestrated, and released. And millions of Americans, when they heard this come out of Joe Biden's mouth 
about those 51 former intelligence officials all came out and said Hunter Biden's laptop was bunk. It was Russian disinformation. Oh my gosh, I am so sick of Russia getting blamed for everything bad that our leaders are involved in. It's Russia, Russia, Russia. And people laughed at Trump because that's what he used. Russia, Russia, Russia. (laughs) Every Democrat did it. Hillary Clinton. Oh my gosh. Yeah, my phone is ringing in the studio and I can't. I don't, I don't know how we don't get that sound turned off when we go live. Nevertheless, it is what it is. Hey, listen, there's more news out there I want to tell you about. Somebody in the Biden administration already is in trouble, and it's not about what we're talking about today. It's just one more big brick that's falling on somebody's foot in the Biden administration. I've got that for you next. Have you ever wanted to learn a new language like French, Spanish, or Russian, but thought it would be too difficult and time-consuming? Then go to Babbel.com and try it for free. Babbel works because it's built around real life. It teaches you everyday practical conversations that you will actually use. In 15 minutes a day, you'll be on your way to speaking a new language in just a few weeks. Babbel uses a modern conversation-based technique that makes language engaging, fun, and memorable. It starts by teaching you words and phrases. Then, sentences gradually get more complex. Soon, you're practicing short conversations about real-life topics. Babbel is created by language experts who use the space repetition method to help you learn quickly and remember what you learned. With Babbel, you can speak a new language. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at Babbel.com. Just go to Babbel.com and start learning a new language today. That's Babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Meet Phil Sklar, co-founder of the National Bobblehead Hall of Fame and Museum. Our dream is to make Milwaukee, Wisconsin the bobblehead capital of the world. At American Family Insurance, we believe your dreams are the most valuable things you will ever own. So today, we're supporting Phil's dream. If people would like to be a part of the bobblehead dream, we take donations in money or bobbleheads. Every dream deserves a champion. Find yours at AmFam.com. American Family Insurance. American Family Mutual Insurance Company and its affiliates. 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin, 53783. With Ford Pass, rewards are just a tap away. Whether it's using rewards points toward things like complimentary maintenance or for vehicle accessories. And with Ford Pass, a tap can also get you 24-7 roadside assistance and lock your vehicle. Only Ford Pass puts all this in the palm of your hand. Ford Pass, built to keep you moving. Justice, the American way. The Truth News Network. Once again, here's Dan Newman. You know, I I don't want any show to ever be, I'm talking about our show, to ever be about just one thing. It almost feels like, you know, when you got a sore when you were a kid and your buddy would find out you had a sore and every time he could, he'd reach over with his thumb and just rub and push on that sore spot. I don't want TNN Live or Truth News Network to ever be like that. But these are important issues that Americans need to get important facts on which to determine who should lead our nation 
every spot in our government. Again, more information, bad information coming out of the Biden administration. The DEA chief, that's the Drug Enforcement Administration chief, is now being investigated for handing no-bid contracts worth millions of dollars to previous colleagues of him. The Justice Department's Office of Inspector General is conducting an investigation after at least a dozen employees, including some of DEA Administrator Ann Milgram's previous associates, were hired under contracts, according to the Associated Press. AP, not a very uh, conservative news organization. I don't think they'd be reporting on this unless there was some there there. One portion of this probe centers about $4.7 million for strategic planning and communication contracts that were handed to Milgram's previous colleagues from the New Jersey Attorney General's office and at New York University where she served as a professor. That exceeded the pay for government employees. Some of these deals look very swampy. That's Scott Amy, general counsel of the nonpartisan Project on Government Oversight. He said of the months-long probe, the work and associates have been tasked with involves handling intelligence, data analytics, community outreach, and public relations, according to the Associated Press. One of the contracts went to Milgram's previous state director of gangs, gun, and violent crime when she served in New Jersey as their attorney general. Jose Cordera, a veteran New York City police official, reported this. Within weeks of starting her job at the DEA, Milgram gave Cordero a data analyst crime stats contract now worth roughly $400,000. And there's one note coming out of this. Contracts, federal government contracts, should never be awarded based on who you know. You think? (laughs) The DEA responded, put out a statement that it's working towards a noble vision to crack down on major national security threats. DEA has acted with urgency to set a new vision, target the global criminal networks responsible for hundreds of thousands of American deaths. Yada, yada, yada. They just went on and on. These changes have been made, they say, through an extensive and multi-part process. And we're committed to ensuring that DEA is working relentlessly to protect the national security, safety, and health of the American people. They won't give any more information out. I mean, it's just one thing after another, folks. One evil thing after another. But what's the old saying? The old saying about law enforcement, I've heard it my entire life. When somebody does something wrong in politics, what they did wrong is not nearly as bad as what they did covering up what they did wrong. And I got to be honest with you, like I wouldn't be honest with you before. (laughs) I don't know why I say that. In fact, it's been pointed out to me several times. You shouldn't say, Dan, 
I'm going to be honest with you. That means that at some point you're not being honest. I apologize. I'll try to drop that. But nevertheless, the cover-up is always at least as bad and usually worse than the act, the wrong act that was done by these government officials. And they get caught, and typically if the law is put in place, they're held accountable, somebody's going to get popped. You think this will happen for the DEA commissioner? I don't know. There hadn't been anybody held accountable for any wrongdoing in the Biden administration yet, so why would we think it would ever happen? Oh, my goodness. We're not through with this. We've still got to hear from some other folks with more inside information about the wrongdoing that I don't understand why it's been covered up for two and a half years. And then all of a sudden, bam, people come forward. People are stepping forward. A new whistleblower. We had a whistleblower whistleblower last week, a new one. And I guess basically it boils down to this. Americans in government and civil service, even some Democrats, they're tired of our Constitution being trampled, the rule of law being kicked around like it's a soccer ball by leaders in our government, and they're saying, it's time for that to stop. We need to get back to doing the right thing all the time, representing we the people. Now, there's another big elephant in the room that nobody's been talking about until just the last few days. You know, our debt limit here in the United States, according to our Secretary of Treasury, we're going to reach that sometime in June. And if we don't renew or move our debt limit rate up, we're going to default. And what does that mean to the American people? We're going to default default. When the government defaults, here's what it defaults on. They try to scare us by saying, oh, we won't be able to make Medicare, pay Medicare bills. Social Security checks won't go out to scare the American people. That's never happened, and it wouldn't happen here. But what they are telling us that is scary and is factual is where do we go when we borrow money as a government? Do you know where that comes from? We don't have a bank that we can walk into. Uncle Sam walks in and says, hey, I need another $500 billion. Can you extend my line of credit? That's not the way it works. Our federal government turns to the Federal Reserve. And the Federal Reserve prints up some bonds, actual bonds, bond certificates. And they place a value on those bond certificates And then they sell them, T-bonds, treasury bonds. They sell them. And whoever buys them, if you're an American citizen, I promise you, you are part owner of some bonds. What do you mean, Dan? A lot of those bonds are sold to insurance company and investment banks that manage retirement accounts like 401s, simple IRAs, pension funds, unions. Most people don't realize that. Why would these entities buy those bonds? They've got to do something with it. They have to invest that money. They can't just put it in a deposit account and it not make money. That would be stupid. You're right. 
they get paid interest on the face value of the bonds, the numbers that they pay to the Federal Reserve when they buy those bonds. That's the part that would not be paid, or at least not be paid timely. And that means the federal government is getting directly in the pockets of American taxpayers. And we don't have any say-so. So Joe Biden has known from the very beginning, even before he became president, that there was going to be a debt limit crisis this year, and he was going to have to lead the nation into taking care of that problem and pushing it forward. During an interview yesterday with NPR, White House Chief of Staff Jeff Zents, he said that Joe Biden's not going to negotiate about the raising of the debt limit with Speaker, House Speaker Kevin McCarthy about anything to do with spending. Biden is demanding that basically Kevin McCarthy, Congress just give him a blank check. No responsibility, no accountability, just, hey, I'm the president. Give me a blank check and I'm going to go spend it on how I think I need to spend it. Like, yeah, like he's spent in a stewardship way since he's been president, right? Since said this, yeah, let me look. I want to give you an exact quote. President Biden won't negotiate over spending cuts in exchange for raising the debt ceiling with Republicans in Congress, like Biden did when he was part of the Obama administration in 2011 because brinksmanship had major impacts on the economy, on families across the country. We're not going to do that again. So he was talking to All Things Considered, an NPR show. White House correspondent Asma Khalid stated, I asked Jeff Zents, the White House Chief of Staff, why have you all been so unwilling to negotiate here? Because during the debt limit crisis in 2011, Obama White House did negotiate with congressional Republicans and spending cuts were part of the conversation. She then played a clip of Zent saying this, if you're going back a decade, I think the lesson learned was that playing brinksmanship with the full faith and credit of our country and getting close to a period of default had major impacts on the economy, on families across the country. We're not doing that again. Let me, let me explain something to you. If you've ever operated a business, and you may say, no, I never have. I don't understand business. You really do, and you may not know it. Your household is basically a business entity. You have money that comes in. Where does it come from? It comes from maybe investments. It comes from salaries for working. Money comes into your companies quotation marks, company, your home. And you have to compute how you spend that income that comes in. And we base our lives financially as a huge part of what we base our lives on, what we can do, what we need compared to what we want. And we balance all of that out, hopefully, so that we at the end of the month have not spent every penny that came in. But if we have spent it, it's actually 
paying for the things that we agreed we needed to do and wanted to do as a company slash family during that month. Why do our leaders think there is no requirement, no necessity to do that with our company, the United States of America? What Joe Biden is asking is basically what happens when you send your kid to college. Kids never had a credit card before, but the college is, I don't know, 200 miles away. So you know you're not going to be able to see your kid, and your kid knows I'm not going to be able to walk into dad and say, hey, dad, I need a couple of hundred bucks, and dad pulls it out of his wallet. So what do you do? You give him a credit card that has a limit on it, and you tell him, look, these are four essential things. We've paid for your tuition. We've paid for your your dorm or your apartment where you're say, staying, and we're going to pay your utility bills. But you've got a car. You're going to need to get gas in it. You're going to need to eat. You're going to have incidentals you may, or you're going to have to buy some books or whatever. Use a credit card for those things. And so this is supposed to last for a semester. Three weeks later, you get a frantic call from your kids saying, Mom, Dad, I've reached my limit on the credit card. What do I do? And if you're a politician, here's what you do. You either send them another credit card with another limit or you call the credit card company and you guarantee an increase in the amount that they can put on that card and you call them back and say, hey, everything's okay. You just go for it. That's what is happening in Washington, D.C. today. Now, who's got to pay the balance on that credit card? Sadly, it will not be us. It won't be our kids. It won't be their kids. It may be, in part, their grandkids three generations away from now because right now, listen to this, right now, today, I mean actually today, April the 21st, 2023, you owe the government for debt that our government has made through the years. You and every other American, 335 or so million of us each owe $94,000 of federal government debt. Bet you didn't know that. I also bet you didn't know that it is going to be nearly impossible to ever pay that bill. And Joe Biden, and I got to be honest with you, Donald Trump did, Barack Obama before them, George W. Bush, the Clintons, all the way back through, whenever we've risen, raised our debt ceiling, they're asking or they're saying, when the kid calls and says, my credit card's maxed out, what do I do? What they're saying is, we'll just give you another credit card. No problem. We'll get it done. Before we get away from this Joe Biden craziness, insanity, all this whistleblower stuff coming up, and we're finding out that the attorney general is involved in lying, probably lied under oath and testimony to Congress, saying that he had no knowledge about any of this stuff, and now we find out not only did he have knowledge of it, he was giving orders to do it. 
Miranda Devine. She's one of my favorite reporters. She's at the New York Post. She's a Brit, well-spoken, and a great writer. She was the one that brought the Hunter Laptop news to us before the 2020 election that the FBI sat on, said it was Russian disinformation. Last night, Miranda Miranda went out to the Tucker Carlson show, and they weighed into this latest stuff. I'm a fan of Tucker Carlson. He's a truther. He's somebody that doesn't really consider a possible cost to him for doing news that may not be palatable to the viewing audience, but it's factual. Miranda Devine writes that same way. Here they are last night talking about this latest nutty Joe Biden story. Miranda Devine, as always, is on it. She's with the New York Post, helped break the Hunter Biden laptop story in the first place, joins us tonight. Miranda, thanks so much for coming on. This doesn't seem like partisan rock throwing. This seems like an actual story to me, is it? Yes, and look, I think this might be the breakthrough story uh, because really the cover-up of Biden corruption is like Watergate, now bigger than the original story. Uh, It involves the FBI, the CIA. Uh, Now you're seeing this um, quite honest, uh, upright, um, completely non-partisan career IRS criminal uh, investigator who has a lot of big scalps under his belt and uh, is just treating the Hunter Biden story like he did any other case, um, is furious. He's been stymied. He sees that there's been political interference and obstruction in the case. And uh, then I think what really set him off and made him go to the Inspector General of the Department of Justice and turn into a protected whistleblower was seeing a month ago Merrick Garland appear at an oversight hearing and give very misleading testimony. Uh, You know, he was asked specifically by Chuck Grasley, uh, is the uh, US attorney in Delaware able to bring charges in California and in Washington, D.C.? These are the two jurisdictions where Hunter Biden um, lived and should have paid taxes. And uh, Merrick Garland assured Grasley, oh, yes, David Weiss has every authority and power that he needs and I'm backing him up and this is all very independent. That is just the opposite of the truth. And really, if Merrick Garland doesn't know that, he's not doing his job properly. If Merrick Garland can be shown to have lied under oath to the Congress, I mean, the Attorney General of the United States can't commit crimes. I mean, by definition, that's got to be the end of him as our Attorney General, I would think. Well, it would be if you could ever prove it. But all of these people are clever. They have plausible deniability. They have layer upon layer uh, in which they can pretend that they don't know what's happened. That's what Joe Biden's entire business model is all about. His relatives go and get the bribes and he pretends he doesn't know about it. That's such a smart point. Randy Devine, thank you so much for that summary tonight. We'll be talking again, I hope. Isn't that kind of how politics works? You manipulate people, circumstances. You use your power for personal gain to go out and gather and do whatever you want to do. Let me ask you this. Joe Biden was a U.S. senator for almost 50 years. Biggest paycheck he ever got as a senator was $160,000. Today, 
Joe Biden owns three multi-million dollar mansions, two of them on the water. How do you do that? We're talking about Washington, D.C. Now, I know he became a vice president, was a VP for eight years. He made more more money than he was making when he was in the Senate. But if you live in Washington, D.C. or that area, I promise you, I know how expensive it is there. I have relatives that own property, have a home that they have in downtown Washington, D.C. I know how expensive it is. How does a guy making less than a couple of hundred thousand a year on three multi-billion dollar mansions? I'm just saying, quacks and waddles pretty much always a duck, isn't it? Most often it is. It doesn't have to be all the time. There can be something imitating a duck. But you know what I mean. Come on, man. (laughs) To quote the president. Well, we talked about how our feckless FBI and our Department of Justice apparently are in the tank for the Biden family syndicate. But they're working. The FBI is still hard at it. A Jewish student in Las Vegas was the victim, allegedly the victim of a hate crime after a swastika was carved into his back. Now, that's a pretty rough thing to endure. A 17-year-old Jewish teenager, by the way, he's nonverbal and uses a service dog, came home from school on March the 9th with his dog's bag torn up and a swastika carved into his arm. This incident was reported to the FBI by the Israeli-American Council School Watch, which is a nonprofit. They advocate for Jews and the U.S.-Israel relationship. And the school and the teen special assistant denied anything had even happened. So they called the FBI. The ADL, the Anti-Defamation League of Nevada, asked anybody with info about this anti-Semitic act, which it obviously was, to turn it over to the ADL or the FBI. Not only was this kid targeted for his identifiable faith, but he was particularly vulnerable due to his disability. School should be no place for hate, and no student should be made to feel unsafe and threatened. And it's not just Jewish kids No kid needs to endure any kind of hatred like this. And as a matter of fact, there are federal laws against it. The kid's mother told the news outlets that she had asked the shadow assistant that worked with her son, had asked that assistant about what happened and asked about it multiple times. But the mom was told that nothing unusual had happened that day. Did he use the bathroom, mom asked. Did he have any meltdowns? I would think this would have caused him to have a meltdown or to get agitated. The next Monday, a report was filed with the Clark County School District Police. But the school doesn't have cameras in the bathrooms, locker rooms, or classrooms. And they told the mother that it found nothing to suggest an anti-Semitic attack. Following this incident, 
The mom removed her son from the school, arguing that the assistant must know something. As far as I know, the one-on-one is still working at Clark County School District, she said. Her job is to be with my son. If she did not do the carving, I believe she knows who did. (sighs) My goodness, hatred, hatred everywhere. I guess that's a human trait, one of the base things about humans that we just find ways to diminish people that are different from us. It's called meism. My brother preached a sermon years and years ago, and he talked about meism, which is the act of making everything that we do, that we get involved in, be about us. It should be opposite of that. Jesus, that's what he taught us. It's about others. Serve rather than be served. Take the low seat. You know what that means? Back in Jewish days, and it may still be the same way, I don't know, but when they had big feast, whoever was the host of the, uh, of the big feast would have tables set up. And, of course, at the front there may have been risers and they had tables set up or whatever. I don't know how it was. But there was always a competition of who was going to get the best seats at the feast, who was going to get the honor. And the guest would always put the person, the people that he wanted to honor in the best places, even if it meant that the person giving the feast ended up sitting way in the back. It's called taking the low seat. That whole philosophy, it it, it disappeared as far as the United States is concerned. We have servants that don't serve us. I mean, they, they call themselves public service. We're servants. We serve the people. We the people. This is the government of the people, by the people, and for the people. And those of us in the government, we serve the people. Have you heard any discussions today in all of this craziness in the last hour and 22 minutes that shows anywhere that our public servants They're driven by, number one, serving the people. I haven't seen or heard any of it. And unless until we get to that, I don't think our government's going to get any better because there's no need to. It's just get what you can get out of the system and let the chips fall where they fall. We talk here occasionally about individual personalities among our leaders. One is House Republican minority leader, Hakeem Jeffries. And he is one of those, he just makes himself a target because he spews venom and he shows his very vociferous hatred for anybody that's conservative, especially former President Donald Trump. Well, Hakeem Jeffries has been busted. The National Republican Congressional Committees, the NRCC, slams the House Democrats for being led by a bigot. And guess why? A college editorial just happened to be found that showed that Hakeem Jeffries supported his anti-Semitic uncle and Islamist leader, Louis Farrakhan. Calling Judaism a dirty religion praising Adolf Hitler, 
You wouldn't support or defend anti-Semitic remarks, but Hakeem Jeffries did, and he lied about it for years. Jeffries even called black conservatives House Negroes. One writer said, there's a bigot leading House Democrats in Congress, and his name is Hakeem Jeffries. Why won't House Democrats demand their leader apologize for his shameful beliefs? Are the House Democrats silent because they agree? Last week, CNN, of all outlets, I know CNN is out there, and I know, you know, they are the cable news network that's been around the longest. It was founded in Atlanta. A good friend of mine, Ed Casey, was their first anchor. He came from Monroe, Louisiana, from a TV station there, and was hired, and he was the first guy that I saw on CNN back then. They were a real news network. But they decided at some point that they needed to carve out a niche, and the niche that they chose was to pretty much hang the leftist opinion about everything out there as news. And so they've been that way a long time. Their viewership goes through the tank. I'm not going to brag, but I'm going to tell you there are some times that this show has more people listening than CNN has on a television show being viewed at the same time. They're just struggling all the time. And because they're owned by a major corporation that's got bottomless pockets, it really doesn't matter, right? Well, last week, this leftist television cable network, CNN, uncovered that editorial that Jeffries wrote when he was in college that defended his uncle, a black studies professor who lost his job after making anti-Semitic remarks and Islam leader Louis Farrakhan. This editorial explained that the two were unfairly targeted by white media for challenging the long-standing distortion of history. And by the way, another little bomb burst on the scene that said Jeffries, during his time at Binghamton University and as a member of the executive board for the Black Student Union, invited Farrakhan to speak on campus after he made inflammatory comments in the early 90s, such as rich Jews being in the African slave trade and about Jewish executives in the film industry. That editorial that Jeffries wrote went on to criticize black conservatives as a phenomenon, referring to them as token blacks and right-wing opportunists that they have bought into the idea of the American dream in addition to comparing them to House Negroes during American slavery. The House Negro of the slavery era and the black conservative of today are both opportunists interested in securing some measure of happiness for themselves within the existing social order. That's a quote from Jeffrey's editorial. In both cases, the social order, he said, has blacks occupying the lowest societal echelon. National Republican Congressional Committee Press Secretary Will Reiner said in a statement, Hakeem Jeffries lied about his well-documented defense of bigots and anti-Semites. After more than a week of avoiding the issue, we view extremist House Democrat silence as a tacit agreement with their leader's hateful words. 
you can pretty much bet whatever we say, good or bad, it's always going to be out there and available. Somebody's going to find it and use it against us if we're in politics especially. And it's never to tell anybody how good we are or how honest we are. It's always to try to denigrate us and to elevate somebody else at our expense. I mean, after all, folks, isn't that the way politics works? It begins when you start campaigning. You've got to denigrate an announced or even a possible opponent in a political race. I mean, after all, why, oh, why would you just want people to think about you and how good you are and what a great job you'll do if you get elected? That other person wants the same job. So you got to make sure that everybody understands you're better than they are. That's a political thing. It has nothing to do with being a real, honest, hardworking American doing our best, right? Making the convoluted rhetoric of politics understandable, digestible, actionable. TNN, the Truth News Network. Lowe's knows you're a craftsman guy. You have a lot of tools. Tools for everything you've done around the house. But there's the moment you realize your new project means new tools. When tool guys need new tools, they start with Lowe's. The new home of Craftsman. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti, green tea, cream, frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. Uh, no, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. George Orwell said freedom is the right to tell someone what they don't want to hear. Today, that's called the truth. At truthnewsnet.org. Here's Dan Newman. News just came out a minute ago. We talked about the pending necessary raising of our debt limit because we need to make our uh, bond payments and we don't have the money after about June, according to our Treasury, Secretary Treasurer. Democrats are now fretting about President Biden, his consistent refusal to negotiate with Kevin McCarthy as the debt ceiling looms ever closer. Now, McCarthy's put a a reasonable bill in place. I got to be honest with you. I read it, and I said it again. I got to be honest with you. I've read the plan that McCarthy put out there, and it makes perfect sense. The rest of the Republican leadership unveiled what they call the Limit Save Grow Act of 2023. This bill would raise the debt ceiling, but it would cut spending dramatically. Republicans are going to pass the legislation next week. They have the majority in the House, so they can do it now. And they're going to do that and then pressure Senate Democrats and Biden to come to the negotiating table. Now listen to this. Here's the stupid thing in all of this. It doesn't matter 
who it is that is responsible for doing something in government. For them to come out of the chute and say, it's my way or the highway. I'm not going to negotiate with you. That is the epitome of the opposite of what Congress is supposed to do. Look, we have 435 members in the House of Representatives, and each one of them is chosen to serve there by the people who live and are citizens and work and have a social life in the same district as that congressman. All of these 435 members, their only job, number one, number two, number three, it's all the same job, represent the people that send them to Washington, D.C. by electing them. So how can anybody, and it's not just a president, it could be anybody, one of the leaders in the House, Kevin McCarthy as a Republican, Hakeem Jeffries as the number one Democrat in the House, over on the Senate side, same thing. You'll never get anything done if you, the first word out of your mouth when it's time to do something that we've got to do, you say, I'm not going to negotiate. It's my way or the highway. Biden and Democrats have refused to negotiate with McCarthy on this. They want only to pass what they call a clean debt ceiling without any spending cuts or any other reforms. It's just simply like I said a bit ago. Give the kid a brand new credit card or raise the limit on the existing one they've maxed out. But now... And this is the latest information. Democrats are worried about Biden's refusal to even negotiate any at all. Leading the pack of these Democrats that are concerned is over on the Senate side, Joe Manchin, Democrat from West Virginia. By the way, he's up for re-election next year. He slammed Biden's what he called deficiency of leadership. And he praised Speaker McCarthy for putting a debt ceiling plan together and presenting it to the Democrats. House Dems are saying that Biden should talk to McCarthy now. It's been more than 78 days since McCarthy and Biden's last get-together. And a few of them weighed in. I'll, I'll just quote a couple of them. How about Dean Phillips, who's a Democrat from Minnesota? He said, I respect the White House position but not in perpetuity. I like that word, perpetuity. Because negotiation, he said, that's what this whole institution is about. Another Democrat from Florida, Jared Muskowitz, said, I do think that the president and the speaker should always talk. Joe Biden has shown over his history that he's always willing to negotiate. We're going to have to negotiate. We obviously want to move away from just legislating by crisis, I'm encouraging continued negotiations. Now, here's what the debt ceiling bill will do. At least the one that McCarthy put together. Here are the uh, planks in it. It will rescind unobligated coronavirus aid money. Do you realize there are several hundred billion dollars of coronavirus aid money that's still sitting in D.C.? It was never disseminated, why wouldn't we take that and put it back in our budget and use it for something else? 
I think the reason it hadn't been done is I think our president and his fellow Democrats, they just want to keep it as a slush fund that they can just go tap every once in a while when they want to do another big giveaway. The House debt ceiling bill would block unfair student loan giveaways, repeal market distorting green tax credits, repeal the roughly $80 billion in funding to hire those 87,000 IRS agents made available thanks to that Inflation Reduction Act from last year. It would implement the regulations from the executive in need of scrutiny, RAINS, R-E-I-N-S, the RAINS Act, which would curb the regulatory state. And then they want to enact H.R. 1, the Lower Cost Energy Act, which is a sweeping energy reform bill. And the name of it, H.R. 1, you know what that means? That's the first bill that the House put in place when this new Congress began, the very first one. They can't even get Democrats to come to the table yet. Now, there are some conservatives over in the Senate, like Mike Lee from Utah, Ron Johnson from Wisconsin, Rick Scott from Florida, and they're happy as could be about McCarthy's debt ceiling plan. And I'm not going to read you what they said. They put out a statement, but it makes perfect sense. But here's the thing. Even if the president doesn't accept what McCarthy has put on the table, McCarthy didn't do that by himself. I was with my congressman last Friday night, a week ago today. I was with him at a town hall in Shreveport where we live. And I talked to him about what's going on. And he basically said, look, Everybody on our side wants to negotiate. The bottom line is this is not a time for one party or the other to just say it's my way or the highway. We have too much at stake. And the only way we can get some consensus on this is to find some place in the middle with the consensus on hopefully most of the items in it that have got to be addressed but we're 30 plus trillion dollars in debt? How does anybody find a way to reconcile that just writing a blank check and handing it over to the leader of the people who have desperately spent more money in this administration than any other two administrations combined? Two more years of that, our nation can't sustain it, and we're just not going to do it. We've got to negotiate, and we have to stop some of the spending. The American people get it. A majority of the American people say we've got to curb government spending. So why wouldn't it happen? Why wouldn't it happen? You know, it's interesting that you probably have noticed this. I don't pay a lot of attention to press conferences, the formal ones. Pretty much all we ever hear from the president directly is when there are some sound bites from, you know, when he's speaking to a crowd or a group or when he's leaving the White House, setting it out to Marine One to go somewhere and get on Air Force One and they shout questions at him. Let me ask you a question. Have you thought about this? Why has there not been a press conference by President Biden? You know how long it's been? I'm going to give you the 
the number of days, and I bet you'll choke when I tell you, he hasn't had a press conference in 160 days. Why not? Press conferences now extinct as Biden lets TikTokers do the talking. Joe Concha wrote it and he joins me now. Look, this is the basement strategy. No press conference, keep the reporters away. My question is, how long can he keep it up? Apparently for a very long time, Stu. I mean, 160 days since this president has held a formal press conference. For context, you could walk across the entire continental United States in that period and have some time to spare. And it's because his, pet, his handlers are petrified, terrified of having this president speak anywhere outside of a teleprompter. And they know that he's either going to say something bizarre, as he did in Ireland last week when he told a child who asked him, hey, what's the key to success in life? And he answered, not getting COVID. And then obviously he had that soundbite you played earlier where he urged those attending a speech uh, to go out and lick the world, all right? And I get that may be a misspeak, but the problem is this keeps happening over and over again. It's getting impossible to decipher that Joe Biden is even, what, what he's even saying at this point. How can any president just simply refuse to listen to the press, ask some questions, give them some answers? I could speculate. I'm not going to do that. There are a lot of reasons Logical people could see why Joe Biden is not comfortable when he's in a live press conference because typically when he opens his mouth, he's going to say something that he wishes he didn't say. But, you know, he's not the one that's making these choices. He's, he's got handlers, people back in the White House that are controlling what he says or trying to control what he says, at least the setting in which he says these things. When he gets off the teleprompter, folks, He's got the proverbial foot-and-mouth disease in a lot of cases. And we're not the only ones that recognize it. I mean, people from around the world, do you know a lot of this stuff that's going on with Russia and China and China threatening to invade Taiwan and Russia hooking up with Ukraine and devouring it and what's gone on with Saudi Arabia who were in lockstep with our previous administration President Trump went over there. That was his first foreign trip. And every leader of every Muslim country was there and met with our former president. And he basically cemented the relationship with the Middle East. And he put together those Abraham Accords. Nobody could believe these Muslim countries were coming together around and with Israel of all countries. Of course, Joe Biden, when he takes office, he canceled the Abraham Accords and he just totally alienated those Muslim country leaders that they came to the table with Donald Trump. And by the way, Trump didn't give away anything. He got a consensus of understanding that there was a need and it was for the betterment of the entire Middle East and the rest of the world if these countries all worked together and dealt with their issues with Israel as a group and as individual countries. And it worked for four years. It worked really, really well. Do you know we didn't have any kind of skirmish, international, anything new pop up during the four years of Donald Trump? And on his way out, what did he do? He negotiated a withdrawal plan with the leaders of Afghanistan had it in place, and handed the whole negotiated deal to the Biden administration when they took office. They tore it up, 
And you know what the rest is? A horrible withdrawal. We left hundreds of millions of dollars of military equipment. We walked away from Bagram Air Base, which was taken over almost immediately by the Chinese. That was our closest military base to China. And we just walked away, and they got all that military equipment. Let me tell you how bad that was, in case you didn't know it. You know, we lost those 13 military members at the gate of the airport when we were withdrawing. There was a suicide bomber. Suicide bomber comes up to that wall, blows up that bomb, kills those 13. When there are explosives involved in anything like that, scientists after the fact can examine the residue of the explosive what was used in it. And they found out that the suicide bomber took the explosives that they had just gotten days before when we abandoned Bagram Air Base. It was on the base. They put the suicide bomb vest together using our explosives and killed 13 members of our military. That was kind of an explanation of the epitome of the way Joe Biden has governed in many ways, and Americans have died. It's a shame. Now, I'm going to say something we've all got to do. It may be uncomfortable. It may be something you don't want to do, but we're instructed biblically as a Christian nation. Pray for those in authority over you. That would include Joe Biden. And I will say this every day of my life, at some point early as 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning when I get up, I pray for Joe Biden. As has been said to me numerous times by somebody very special in my life, I want the pilot of the plane to be successful getting that plane on the ground. So I'm going to pray for the pilot of the plane. That mean we have to get on that plane with the same pilot all the time. But when we're in the air, you can book it. <laughs> we need to make sure he can get us on the ground, right? Joe Biden. I, I, have you ever wondered what foreign leaders think about him? Can you imagine what it's like to sit and have a conversation with him based upon what you hear? And I'm not, I never make fun of him. But he's in a cognitive declination state that should cause a lot of people to think through the process of his possibly running for re-election because of his age and his obvious cognitive disability. Our friends in Australia at Sky News weighed in on this. On his trip to Ireland, which we just spoke about, Joe Biden had been keen to talk up the great and deep ties between America and the Emerald Isle. I mean, did you know, yeah, it's true, that an Irishman designed the Oval Office? The president's been telling everybody about it, only he doesn't know where the Oval Office is. Have a look. As a matter of fact, as you walk into my office in the, in the Oval Office in the United States, capital. Guess what? You know who founded and designed and built the White House? An Irishman. An Irish. No, not not a joke. Not a joke. Ah, 
not a joke. Sorry, but it is not the U.S. Capitol, but the White House uh, that the Oval Office is in, Mr. President, which was, in fact, designed by Irish-American architect James Hoban. It was an Irish-American that designed the Oval Office in the White House. Oh, my gosh. Pray for, pray for President Biden, please. Let's all pray together and that uh, the United States is going to weather the storm and whatever the outcome is going to be after the 2024 elections. Let's just believe God is going to lead us and lead our, our leaders from where they are to where we need to be. There's another story that I want you to hear. We're going to take our final break. On the other side of this, when we come back, There is a member of Congress, there's more than one, but there's a Republican that has come out explaining how on the other side of all this stuff that's come out about the Biden family syndicate, the money, the wrongdoing, the lies that have been told, all of that could end an impeachment of Joe Biden. That's next. You love chocolate. Mm, chocolate. You love M&M's. Oh, yes. But your tastes have grown up, and you're just not wild about super sweet milk chocolate, so you've been avoiding M&M's. Yeah. Well, fear no more. Huh? M&M's dark chocolate to the rescue. My heroes. M&M's dark chocolate candies, available wherever fine candies are sold. Hello. Hello, sir. I hear you having problems putting together your new kitchen unit. Oh, yeah. Uh, the instructions say the that. What now? The instruction manual. It makes absolutely... Stop reading that. Well, what would you suggest I use? I suggest you use the fact you're a man. Huh? Guys who got pride never relied on no guide, sucker. I'll give you some step-by-step instructions. <laughs> Buy Snickers, remove wrapper, bite chocolate, and get some nuts. Go to GetSomeNuts.tv for more Snickers man coaching. Uh-oh. Guess what day it is? Guess what day it is? Huh? Anybody? Julie, hey, guess what day it is? Oh, come on, I know you can hear me. Mike, 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 Mike. What day is it, Mike? <laughs> Leslie, guess what today is? It's hump day. Woo-woo! Ronnie, how happy are folks who save hundreds of dollars switching to Geico? I'd say happier than a camel on Wednesday. He knew that this dispute was going on. He certainly knows now. I have confirmed that the Justice Department is acutely aware of this now. But it's possible that these U.S. attorney officials who were political appointees of Merrick Garland didn't. I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> I apologize for that. Somehow hit a switch, I think. I, I, I'm not even sure. But nevertheless, I promised you I wanted you to hear this story. This is a combination of several people, and they're trying to get to the bottom of what might can happen at the end of whatever is going to come out of the Biden administration and all of the craziness. Uh, From House Judiciary, one of the committees that got the whistleblower letter, Congressman Jeff Van Drew is from House Judiciary, and we have New York Post columnist John Levine who's been breaking stories on Hunter Biden for years. Congressman, first to you, is there enough to launch an obstruction of justice probe against the White House here? Well, my gut is there will be enough to launch a probe. Uh, We have to get all the T's crossed, the I's dotted. We've got to obviously see the information. We're not 
quite at that stage yet, but if it is as it seems, I mean, this is very, very serious. Talk about the deep state. I mean, it never ends with the Bidens. The stuff that we knew from before about where the money came from, the stuff we knew about China, the stuff we knew about the laptop. Now we've got all this information. Uh, There's going to be a very busy time in Washington, D.C., and we owe it to the people. And we owe it to the integrity of our government. We just cannot allow this to continue. God knows this man may be impeached at the end of the day. Congressman uh, Van Drew makes the point, a potential obstruction of justice probe, because, uh, John, inside the DOJ, the IRS whistleblower, is alleging he's got emails and documents and contemporaneous witnesses who could be called in to testify that DOJ political employees were blocking and stonewalling the Hunter Biden probe. John, does this stick out to you? You know, Democrat lawmakers and the media, they've been going after Trump and hammering him over his finances and taxes while the Biden family is making money cashing in on Biden's government job around the world with U.S. adversaries and then creating these off-balance sheet shell companies to hide their money flows. It's like this Glenn Greenwald journalist says, this is a key tactic. Hold everyone else but yourself to the highest moral standards as, as you get rich. Right. Well, I mean, the allegations contained in this whistleblower complaint are very, very serious. And I think we need to really take a wait and see approach. Right. You know, we you know, we don't know what we don't know here and we don't know what we have here. And I think it's just very important that this whistleblower get in front of the right committees and, and congressmen and just lay everything on the table. And, you know, one of the things I find most disconcerting is apparently sworn testimony from a senior political appointee at the IRS apparently is not correct and was false. And he has she has proof of that. So I just I just want to learn more here and. Uh, and maybe there will be, you know, enough evidence for an obstruction of justice probe. I'll, I'll remind your viewers that President Trump was impeached because of a whistleblower complaint over a phone call. So these things can be very serious and, and escalate very, very quickly. Yeah, it could escalate quickly. To what John just said, we know House Oversight James Comer was on our show. Nine family members of the Biden family allegedly profiting off of cashing in on Joe Biden's government job, Congressman Van Drew. Joe and Jill Biden, uh, it's been already documented, they use an LLC shell company to lower their Medicare and Obamacare payments, uh, reportedly nearly half a million bucks there. Also, the Bidens use their home state of Delaware's, uh, you know, the storied financial privacy laws to shield their income from public view using these off-balance sheet LLCs and S-Corps. So it feels like potentially a tax, a bigger tax problem for the Biden family uh, along, alongside obstruction of just, justice issues as well. Oh, there's a host of problems, certainly a tax issue uh, besides the obstruction, and we don't even know the half of it yet. If we can really drill down and get to the truth and literally find out what's going on and stop the protection which this family is receiving, uh, that from the Department of Justice and others, um, I think we're going to find that there's a lot there. They had a whole system set up from one family member to another family member, from China over to the Bidens, to Hunter. It's amazing what went on and is has gone on. You know, so this story, too, John, reports that House Judiciary took sworn testimony from former acting CIA director Mike Morrell 
that that push by 51 U.S. intelligence officials, including Morrell, before the 2020 election to dismiss your paper's Hunter Biden laptop story as Russian disinformation came out of Joe Biden's presidential campaign to pave the way for a Joe Biden presidency, and that reportedly Tony Blinken, now Secretary of State, was the point man on that, who was calling people to get that up and running. Do you know anything more about this? I mean, what's incredible is that Joe Biden's presidential campaign is currently being sued for defamation by John Paul Mac Isaac, who's the original computer repair, the laptop owner who found the original Hunter Biden laptop, because they they when they said it was Russian disinformation, they knew it was false. They knew it was false and they put it out anyway. And I think the more these committees begin to look into it and it's important that that process continue and they are making a lot of progress, the more smoke there is. And I think we'll finally start to maybe see some results. So obstruction of justice pro final word, Congressman Van Drew. And then I'll go to you, John. Anything that Donald Trump ever did in his life had never caused nearly the harm that has been caused by this family, the Biden family. And I think we're going to find that out. I think these are going to be very interesting and revealing times. Final word, John. I think we got to just follow the facts wherever they lead. And the American people just need to know what went on. Got it. Congressman Van du- Drew and John Levine, thank you so much. Got to admit. Why statements by those people there? We got to follow the facts. We got to find out exactly what happened, who's involved, and then make some accountability work. If there's wrongdoing, and work and hold everybody who is involved in whatever there is. If there is something, hold them accountable. Novel idea, right? Thank you for being here on Friday. Don't forget our Saturday bullet points will go live about 2 o'clock tomorrow morning. And it highlights the top, the top 10 stories of the previous week. All the details, if you want them, take a look at Truth News Network, truthnewsnet.org. You guys have a wonderful weekend. We'll see you soon, Monday.
That's how I know. Man.